This is Southern Tier Close-Up on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of this station. Joining me today is the Director of Emergency Services Department for Broome County, Patrick Dewing. Welcome to the program, Pat. How you been? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. You lie. (laughs) We were talking before we went on air this morning about the craziness of the past over two years now. It's hard. I I hate saying that. But um, now you have not been the director of emergency services for the entire pandemic, but you've you've been in the thick of it. Yes, I was appointed director last September. Uh, Prior to that, I served as the emergency manager for Broome County during the pandemic. And I, when the pandemic first took off, I actually was a, a supervisor with Broome County Security, and I was pulled into emergency services to assist with their logistics efforts. And who thought it was going to last this long? Oh, nobody. This is the longest uh, emergency operations center activation in our history. Oh, I think in anybody's history. <laughs> I mean, seriously, any anybody that's not, wasn't born in, in 18... 18- you know, 1922. Um, but before we get, I want to go back into all that in just a little bit. But the reason that I pinned you down and, and tracked you down is something that's kind of near and dear to the hearts of those of us that are in news, which you, people might not think of. But we have so much direct contact with uh, the people that we just commonly refer to as the dispatchers. Um, the the emergency communications workers, and there is actually well-deserving a week that is set aside to recognize national public safety telecommunicators, and that's why I called you in. So for the general public who may not have had to take advantage of the services of these wonderful people, why don't you tell us what public safety telecommunicators do? So the public safety telecommunicators are 911 dispatchers, which are commonly referred to. Um, they're the ones that answer the phones whenever someone calls 911 or one of our non-emergency lines. Some of those are for emergency calls, 911 calls, such as fire or EMS calls. And there's a large number of calls that come in that are non-emergency, too, people just looking for guidance and assistance. Oh, yeah. And, and these people, I, I have to say, um, some of the more bizarro calls that you hear about, um, locally and nationally, that some of these these people get, whether they're wrong numbers or kids calling 911 accidentally or not knowing any better, but some other ones that are just kind of out there, some of the patience of these these operators, <laughs> I mean, there, there's got to be a special place in heaven, I swear to God. Can you truly really wonderful? Can you off offhand think of some of the the some situations where it really shouldn't have been nine one one, but somebody's handled the situation with with quite the uh, a palm, if you will. I think uh, we get a lot of calls from the elderly people yeah. that are calling for that need a ride to the doctor's office, have law enforcement related questions, um, calling about special events that may be taking place in the area. Uh, these are all calls we often field, and um, one of the more sweeter calls is we're always around Christmas time. We always have one or two children call 911 asking about when Santa's going to arrive. Oh, 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 my. and you can't get mad. <laughs> no, they, they have the patience of saints in there, and although, you know, 911 is meant for emergencies, yeah. they do their best to, you know, help anyone that calls in. Um, during the month of April, we'll also be doing a lot of education on when to call 911 versus when not to call 911. 
Which, another thing, too, I want to point out, and this was, maybe it still is, you can you know, educate me on this. Um, I know during the pandemic, we were looking at, in this division, as with many divisions, about staffing issues. Uh, whether it be people out sick or just the staffing issues you already had, um, what is the situation with the staffing of the 911 Center for Broome County right now? Staffing's difficult. It's been difficult for many years now. I think it was exasperated by the pandemic. Um, you know, time one operators, they're, they're wonderful, but it's an extremely difficult job. Um, oftentimes they're dealing with people on the worst days of their lives, right. answering calls and some of those being very serious calls. And some of those calls um, come in from our first responders, which we have a close relationship with. So right. it hits more on a personal level. Uh, officer down we've had a few of those over the years we've had some some horrible situations where it's personal it really is and you have to set that aside while you're doing the job and and sending out the units the american civic association shootings um that pure pan pandemonium when that happened and the cool heads and the calm voices on the other line, while well, you have somebody that's terrified hiding under a desk with an active shooter in the building, when you when you go home from that as a dispatcher, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you personally resolve that and deal with that, uh, especially if it turns out to be somebody you know? Yeah, I think they the dispatchers they have a peer support network that they work with. You know, they're friends inside of work and outside of work, and I think they lean on one another. For that support and also with their family i think the general public really needs to appreciate that yes it, it's, i can't stress enough how difficult it is and especially when it hits close to home uh, there was just a recent incident where one of our broom county deputies was rear-ended during a traffic stop and you know we consider the uh, broom county sheriff's office you know a partner of ours so when that call came in it was it was traumatic for the floor to hear and thankfully no one was severely injured yeah um when somebody is considering a career in possibly doing this, what kind of people are I mean, it's really a special type of person that's got a special mindset that obviously really wants to help people. But how, how does somebody end up being on that end of the phone? And, and it's not like you see on TV with that program that's on. But how how do people get into that and what should they expect if they do want to explore a career in uh, in public service in this way you know i think you, you hit an interesting point right in the head is it's not like it's on tv it's very different and it's a very difficult job um, and i don't think you can really understand it or appreciate it until you've actually been on the floor we oftentimes if someone is interested in a career in dispatch we will have them come in and observe they can sit in for an entire shift observe what the dispatchers do for the 12-hour shift that they're in there. Yeah, it's 12-hour shift, yeah. Yeah, 12-hour shift, so it's 6 to 6. And so that you know that adds to the difficulty of the position itself. And if someone observes and still is very interested, uh, we host a civil service examination every year uh, where they can sign up, take the test, and potentially become a 911 dispatcher. Well, we're still just about at the halfway point before we shift gears. I want to give you the opportunity to get one of the first mentions in going into this month of April about proper use of 911 and and give that little educational speech on when you should use it and what it's there for. Absolutely. I think the first thing we really want to stress is when you call 911, 
the first thing we're going to ask is, what is, the, what is the address of your emergency? You need to know where you are. Yeah. Um, if you don't know specifically where you are, look for cross streets, look for intersections, apartment numbers, building numbers, uh, townships, anything you can give us to better narrow down where you specifically are. And just remember that 911 for emergencies. So that's imminent life-threatening medical emergencies, um, heart attacks, strokes, allergic reactions. If there's an immediate threat to person or property, uh, threat to life. Uh, if you're witnessing a crime, experiencing a serious mental health crisis, those are all very important times to call 911. Yeah, and that if somebody's messed up your drive-through order. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I want to point out, and and we won't get into it, but from personal experience, uh, knowing where you are and passing along that information also very very important. If you are not at home and you are using a cell phone because the locator information that might come up might not be from where you are. So if you're in an emergency, know where you are and don't rely on uh, the, the emergency services to be able to, to immediately know where you are based on your phone calling. Correct. We have an amazing technology inside the dispatch center. Um, each dispatcher is staring at six different screens to help uh, properly dispatch every call that comes in. Um, but that technology isn't always foolproof, so it's very important to make sure that you're providing us the location of where you are. Okay, yeah, especially if you're in rural Pennsylvania, just just saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, moving to another little quick thing, we, we alluded to this whole pandemic thing. You've been doing something that's kind of interesting, and it, it, it's, it's funny how time has gotten really weird over the past couple years uh, it's very hard to tell what happened last year what happened two years ago and you've kind of been giving us a little bit of a reminder for people that uh, do follow uh, the broom county emergency services department on on facebook um, there you've been doing kind of little snippets and snapshots back about uh, what kind of stuff that you guys just pulled a rabbit out of your hat from just helping with vaccinations to turning a BC transit bus into a rapid testing site. Yes, so it's, it was an interesting idea we had here in our emergency management division. As, as we were looking back and anecdotally just having a conversation about all the things that we accomplished, how far we've come over the last two years, I think a lot of people have forgotten all the neat things and the, how innovative our team really was. So I thought during the court month of March, being two years later, we could go just sort of highlight some of the very interesting um, missions that we've undertook, whether it have been mass distribution very early on, uh, our transit bus that we turned into a mobile lab. We actually won an award from the uh, State Health Association for that, um, to turning SUNY Broom Ice Center into a mass vaccination site things that we never thought we would ever undertake in emergency management, but that we did, and then I thought we accomplished. And also dealing with 24 inches or more of snow in the yes. middle of all this, too. <laughs> oh, man alive. Well, now we're going to switch gears again, because now I'm getting toward the end of the program, and I don't want to run out of time. Um, one of the big head-scratchers that, I, honestly... Some of us thought that putting cameras on school bus stop arms was going to be a bit of a deterrent of people passing stopped school buses. What is wrong with you? Um, but we've been getting updates from you guys that there's been a whole bunch of cases since this has happened. Is it because we're catching people or is it because people are just that dumb? I think it, I think. There's a lot of ignorance 
out there about what the actual law is. And that's been one of our campaign campaigns is to push information out so that everyone knows that you can't pass a stop arm when it's extended when the lights are on the bus. Um, this seems silly to maybe you and I, but I think there's a lot of people out there that simply don't know. And so our goal is education and compliance, but the numbers are still alarming. How how bad? I mean, you've been doing this isn't your first rodeo, even though we're new with this stop our arm program with this school year is is when it all got launched. Is it really more people doing it? The numbers are alarming, and we're not seeing the driver compliance that we really were hoping to see. Uh, we Our high was last December. We had 395 approved violations in that month alone. Uh, we took a little bit of a dip in January, went down to 225, but unfortunately, the numbers are trending back up again. Last month, we had three, 226 approved violations, and I looked at the numbers this morning before I hopped on this call, and we already have 285 approved violations for this month. Just basically, is it a, is a problem with the divided highways that people don't understand that, or is it just really just basic, a normal resident residential street like Fenton Avenue and Hillcrest that they're passing these buses? The problems on the residential streets, uh, really? it's not on the divided highways. I know that probably gets wow. the most controversy is that you're supposed to stop on the divided highways. Wow. That's not where we're seeing the violations. We're seeing the violations just day to day on the streets, and some of them are. are just very blatant and it's unfortunate to see um, one violations one too many violations in our eyes because that every violation is potential for a child to hit, hit by a motor uh, motor vehicle is the the cameras mounted on the stop arms um i mean you're not on the legal end of it but is is that beneficial in pursuing legal action against these people that are doing it absolutely there's actually what people don't realize there's three separate cameras on the bus so there's a orange box that you can see, and it's mounted below the stop arm. On that, in that box, there's a camera pointing forward, a camera pointing in reverse, and there's also a motion detection device that senses the motion when a vehicle passes the bus. Those two cameras capture the license plates of the vehicles. There's a third camera that's mounted on the top rear of the bus that provides an overview that records the entire violation taking place. And when someone receives a notice of liability for passing a school bus, they can actually log on to the Vera Mobility website and they can look at all the evidence presented against them, which is the pictures wow. of their license plate, a picture of their vehicle, a, a map of where the violation took place, as well as a 10-second video of the violation. Wow. Wow, that's really something. We are out of time, Pat. Um, and I would encourage everybody to uh, just take a moment to appreciate the work that happens with the telecommunicators, the public safety telecommunicators, not just for the the week that they have coming up or the month that's coming up, but all the time and, uh, and a special thank you. And, you know, maybe for the people that like to get on social media, put a little post on their social media page thanking the dispatchers for all the work they do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of the station. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. I'm Kathy White for the Southern Tier Close-Up.